Welcome to Agents of Nothing, an episode-by-episode recap and analysis from the perspectives of a veteran and a new recruit. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Good morning, Agents of Nothing, and welcome to our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. We are your commanding officers. I'm Mariah. And I'm Caroline. And today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 1, Shadows, finally on Season (laughs) 2. I can't believe it. It's so crazy. (laughs) So, Mariah, how was your week? Um, It was all right. We're finally starting to settle in at the new place, and I'm glad, but I'm also so tired. Yeah. Still. (laughs) When did y'all finally move? Um... I think, like, the 26th, like, we ended up moving in early, but, yeah, we're mostly done unpacking. (laughs) But, oh, my God, we have a dining table. It's a whole thing. Whoa. That's exciting. It's crazy. Not just a kitchen, but a dining table. Are you having fun, like, decorating everything? I am having fun with decorating. I actually, like... In the last two places we've been, the bedroom has stayed pretty blank. Mm -hmm. I don't really know why that is, but because we have such a big bedroom here, like, I have a place to put my vanity and, like, my own little reading nook, and I was like, I'm going to decorate in here. Yeah. And so that's honestly where most of my, like, stuff has gone, and I... I have so much wall space now that I, I'm like I don't know what to do with all this. I need, I need to get things. Yeah. I need more things. That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so excited. How was you. your week, <laughs> birthday girl? My week was good. Yes. As of recording, yesterday was my birthday. I'm 27. I I honestly am having a little bit of an identity crisis because mm-hmm. I did something that I never thought that I would do. And what's that? I wrote a song. From Ward's perspective. Oh, my God. <laughs> I am I'm ashamed of it, <laughs> and yet I'm really proud of the song as a song. <laughs> it's a very compelling story. You know, let's be honest with yeah. ourselves. Yeah, but I, I, will, I will tell y'all, it's called The Villain, so I didn't stray too far. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that I would, I could give y'all a little bit of a taste of it. So I'll just play a chorus, and then we'll tell you how you can hear the rest of it. Yay! If you like it. Hopefully you like it, but... <laughs> okay. I'll never do what's good for you Cause baby, I'm the villain And you'll never see nothing good in me I burned my rope to heaven you enjoy that (laughs) um so i don't know about you guys but (laughs) i would want to hear more of that and we are very excited to tell you guys that we are launching an exclusive subscription on anchor.fm yes Uh, finally (laughs) 
for only two ninety nine a month. You, this feels so weird. <laughs> We've been like trying to set this up for so long, and like putting yeah, it off, and we finally did it. <laughs> but anyway, the point is. For $2.99 a month, you can get access to exclusive content such as our Zoom video recordings from Season 1, Episode 18 onward, which means the full unedited podcast episodes, basically, (laughs) plus a little extra. Have fun with that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You'll also get monthly bonus episodes covering the MCU movies, most of which Caroline has not seen yet. This is true. I have not. (laughs) And you can get the full version of that song from Ward's perspective, plus any other songs that I may or may not write in the future about any other S.H.I.E.L.D. characters that inspire me. (laughs) And whatever else we can come up with to give you guys. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be so much fun. I'm. I am so glad that we're finally doing it. (laughs) I'm so excited for this, and I hope you guys enjoy the bonus content that we have to offer you. Yes. All right. With that being said, let's get into the episode. Yeah. So this episode was written by Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancherowin, the showrunners. The babes. And was directed by Vincent Misiano. That seems to be like a common combination. It does. They do a good job. They do. They do. I like their episodes. Yeah. Okay. So, in this episode, we meet so many new characters. Yes. Um, So, first of all, Dr. Whitehall, more like Dr. Whitehood, if you know what I mean. Oh, ho, ho, ho. We also meet... Hartley, Hunter, and Idaho, no, Utahos, a.k.a. the Mercenaries. <laughs> um, and I'm actually still not quite sure which one was Idaho, uh, <laughs> honestly. You know, it doesn't really matter. Um, it ends up not, not mattering a whole lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's the one that died. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Um, and then there was a, there was a fourth guy. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> uh, there was a fourth guy. I think that was Mac. I don't remember. Uh, and then we also meet Carl Creel. His abs are rock solid. Oh. Sometimes. Um, and also, I keep wanting to call him Colin for some reason. I don't, I don't know Colin why, Creel. <laughs> Colin Creel. Sounds right. Uh, anyway, okay. So let's, let's get into this. And just as a disclaimer, more to make myself feel better than anything else, but as y'all know, these rundowns of the episode consist of my, like, stream of consciousness while I'm watching the episode, so I will be presenting it as such. I do know the twists now, but I'm gonna give myself that out. (laughs) Your confusion was so funny to read. I'm sure. I was reading and I'm like, I hope she figures this out by the end at least. (laughs) I did, I think. I think I figured most of it out, but... Um, Okay, so we open in Austria in 1945. We're jumping right back into the Nazi stuff. Um, It looks like the beginnings of Hydra. Some Nazi guys are talking to some other Nazi guys about some Nazi shit, or about something called an obelisk. Um, And it apparently holds the answer to death itself, which I didn't know was a question, but (laughs) I'm glad... They found the answer, I guess. (laughs) 
And then, wow, it's Peggy. Peggy! Agent Carter leads some American soldiers through a gate and confiscate the obelisk by order of the Strategic Scientific Reserve. The Nazi recites the Hydra motto, and Agent Carter simply says that they'll just have to keep cutting that head off. I was wondering at what point of the season this happened. I remembered that it did, but not when it did. So, Agent Carter and the Howling Commandos from the Captain America movie appear in this World War II flashback, or post-World War II flashback, it seems. Yeah. Haley Atwell, Neil McDonough, and Kenneth Choi reprise their roles from previous MCU projects in a sequence that ties in with an MCU television show that was in the works at the time, Agent Carter. Um, So it was before the show premiered, I assume to promote the show, and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. composer extraordinaire and friend of the podcast, Bear McCreary... Come on the pod! ...used Christopher Leonard's Agent Carter theme, I assume from the Agent Carter Marvel one-shot that was out at this point in time. Okay. Um, when writing the music for this sequence. Gotcha. I was such a simp for Peggy Carter during this period of time. I know you were. <laughs> we were we friends. We were friends during this yeah. point in time. I remember this distinctly. I dressed up as her for Halloween 2014. Yep. I I say in the script. I'm pretty sure. I'm absolutely sure. That I, <laughs> and I remember I dressed up as her. I'll try to fish a picture out from somewhere, but I don't actually have a lot of pictures from that night. But I went to my friend Catherine's party, her Halloween party. And as uh, 19-year-olds are wont to do, I got shit-faced. Of course. And um, I was planning to, like, sleep on her couch, but I couldn't fall asleep. And so I was working at a department store, and we had a mandatory work meeting the next morning. And... After that, I had plans with my friend and co-worker to go to the Renaissance Festival. So it's like four in the morning. I can't sleep. I go to take a shower and then still can't sleep. And as the time approaches that I need to leave to like go home and get ready Mm -hmm. for this work meeting, I'm like, I am not sober. (laughs) (laughs) And so... I had to call my parents, who were awake because they woke up at five. Of course. And I was like, hey guys, um, I'm at Catherine's house, and I'm pretty sure I'm still drunk. Can you come get me? (laughs) And so they came and, and picked me up, and then I got maybe like an hour of sleep, and then went to this work meeting, and then went to the Renaissance Festival... I caught my second wind somewhere in there. Of course. 19-year-olds are crazy. I could never do that today. (laughs) If you're out there and you're 19 right now, enjoy it. (laughs) And also, if you're drunk, make sure you call a ride. Yes. Okay, sorry. Continue. Okay, so 
as the Howling Commandos are packing up all of the dangerous artifacts that this Hydra location was hoarding, Agent Carter says that they'll need to figure out a permanent location to hide all of this and keep it safe from people like Mr. Stark who want to toy with it. And one of the boxes is numbered 084. Oh my goodness. Um, so after Agent Carter and the Howling Commandos take down the last Hydra site that they know of, <laughs> um, one of the commandos attempts to open a crate containing uh, one of the confiscated artifacts, and Peggy quickly closes it. But before it closes, there's a brief glimpse of a blue body, and that is most likely the body of the guest host used to develop the GH-325 serum. Uh, what? <laughs> I did not see that. For, for visual reference, Caroline's jaw is dropped. You'll see it if you go watch the video on our Anchor exclusive. <laughs> Subscribe to our Anchor subscription to watch Caroline's jaw drop. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's like a blink and you miss it sort of thing. Clearly. Wow. Very cool, though. And... The first long Bear McCreary music tidbit of season two. My favorite. Yes. So, Bear McCreary changed his synth programming for the series from, quote, warm round tones to a, quote, mangled under heavy distortion sound. He began the episode without any synths, describing his music for the episode's opening scene as... Among the most shamelessly orchestral I've ever done for this series. Yeah. I wanted the score to feel like it belonged in the 1940s, with a retro-adventurous attitude. Then, just as the audience begins to get used to the orchestral sound, the episode cuts to modern day, and suddenly I bring in the new synths with distorted basses blazing over the nastiest groove I've ever written for the show. <laughs> the transition is hopefully as jarring as I intended, jumping from soaring orchestra to blasting electronica as we leap forward in time 70 years. That's hilarious. And with the appearance of Peggy Carter, Bear decided to quote the Agent Carter theme that was composed by Christopher Leonards for the Agent Carter one-shot. So I was right. Yeah. Um, and on using that theme, Bear said... I was excited for the opportunity to incorporate his music into my S.H.I.E.L.D. score because it further cements the Marvel Cinematic Universe together as a coherent whole. Chris was thrilled and sent me his scores for reference. On his use of the theme, McCreary stated, as Carter storms in, the first violin stayed an elongated version of her theme soaring above an aggressive orchestral ostinato. <laughs> Those are words I understand. Yeah. McCreary also introduced a new Hydra theme in the episode. That's Hydra theme number three. Wow. Uh, that represents Daniel Whitehall and is used in scenes featuring the obelisk and Carl Creel. Mm. And about that theme, Bear said, In true bad guy theme fashion, the theme is constructed from distantly related minor chords and contains lots of close intervals. I build a theme like this so it can easily move into increasingly dissonant variations. For example, the E-flat in the C minor chord will clash against the E minor, as will the B-flat in the G minor chord. 
Building the theme in this way means that, in the future, I can put this theme over any pedal tone bass note and it will always sound dissonant. It's so good. It's so smart. <laughs> I was like, I only understood half of that, but I I honor you <laughs> so much. I'm in awe. <laughs> oh my god. There. I get the, I get the gist, okay? Yeah. I get the gist. <laughs> we get that you're a genius, okay? Anyway, so back to present day in Alexandria, Virginia. Sky has bangs. They're back, baby. Yes. <laughs> so, scandal. In the opening scene, a city is pictured with a caption stating it is Exaliandria. <laughs> I. Exaliandria Virginaria. Virginia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. With a caption stating it is Alexandria, Virginia. This is actually a picture of Huntington, West Virginia. And you can even see Marshall University's football stadium as well as some of its residence halls, i.e. Towers and Holderby. So, like, oh my God. what were they thinking? It's a whole other state. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. They really dropped the ball on that one. I don't think I can keep watching this show now. <laughs> this is shit. I have to, I have to state for the <laughs> record that I'm a little buzzed, so you, you guys are gonna, you're in for a treat. And I'm hungover, so let's do it. <laughs> um, so the team is waiting for a sale to be completed on the SSR 084 box. Holy shit. Oh, my the person selling is supposedly an ex-Shield agent, Browning, and he is apparently selling this thing to so-called Hydra agents, but he doesn't care because they're the highest bidder. Fucking wow. This thing was confiscated from and has been hidden specifically from Hydra for nearly 70 years. Are you just going to sell it right back to them? Jail. Immediate. Immediate jail. Jail for a thousand years. <laughs> Um, but it's okay. He's actually just selling them a picture of the box and telling them that the government has lots more just like it. And uh, honest, that's objectively hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a picture of a box and the government has more. Duh. <laughs> but they don't have time to fall for his tricks because some indestructible guy shows up and takes the file with the picture of the box and jumps out the window. <laughs> I love somebody always jumps out a window in this show. <laughs> Hydra goes to shoot the seller, but May, Sky, and Trip shoot him with an icer before she gets the chance. And, like, why is Sky standing like that? <laughs> Did I send you that picture? You didn't. <laughs> Dude's literally. Oh, hang on. I'm going to send it to you now because it's actually. It made me laugh. <laughs> but, like, she's standing there, like, she's all tough, and she's, like, holding the gun out, and she looks so menacing except that she's got like her hip cocked all the way out <laughs> i do think that they were playing up the like sexy secret agent thing in in this season it was so funny okay i found it i'm gonna send it oh we'll we'll post this on twitter yeah. i guess just like we always do for the pictures that i take of my tv <laughs> but <laughs> who directed who directed her to stand like that <laughs> was like you know what you look a little too badass just like pop your hip out a little bit and then we'll be we'll call it a day <laughs> chloe you're doing great very badass very awesome we love it 
Not enough sexy, though. Not enough sexy. <laughs> Can you work on it, please? Just, just cock a hip out. That's all we need. Yeah. Just let them know that you have curves. Anyway, okay, so as May introduces them, uh, Trip like, scuttles around the table, which was so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, like, he jumps over a table to go see what happened to the guy that jumped out the window, and he's gone, even after dropping over 25 feet. Um, so then the buyer turns and starts calling for orders from her superior, saying that May and co. are assumed Hydra agents. And then Coulson gives her orders to go dark. (laughs) What? (laughs) What the fuck? New S.H.I.E.L.D. is so secret that even S.H.I.E.L.D. agents don't know other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) So, over at the playground, uh, Fucking CNN is on the TV (laughs) with General Talbot saying that the remaining Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are fugitives and need to be captured and punished ASAP. So here we have George Stephanopoulos making a cameo appearance as himself. Of course. Good for you, George. (laughs) Get that back. Good for you, Steph. Mr. Stephanopoulos. Mr. Stephanopoulos. (laughs) Mr. Snuffleupagus. Mr. Snuffleupagus. So May, Sky, and Trip, and the other secret S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and the guy that stole the file, (laughs) all convene in the bunker. (laughs) Um... (laughs) It was not. It was not the guy who stole the file. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) Uh, So Lance Hunter and Isabel Hartley are the other agents. And the guy that took the file, apparently, is named (laughs) Mac. And he's disappointed that he only got to take a file and not the new tech toys. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love that the train of thought here was that you saw two big buff guys and you were like, well, they can't have two buff guys in the same episode. It's clearly the same guy. <laughs> they don't even look alike. <laughs> They're big and buff and it's bald. So, <laughs> I don't know what else I'm so supposed to think. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, this episode marks the first appearance of Henry Simmons as Alfonso Mac McKenzie, aka. Big buff guy number two. Yeah. Henry, you did great. (laughs) You'll see a lot more of him. Okay. Yeah, he's the only one that didn't fucking die. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Billy Koenig greets them all and says that Coulson is on site, which is very surprising, apparently, um, and that he wants to talk with May. So Sky and Koenig start talking about the bulletproof guy, who I guess is not, in fact, Mac. (laughs) May goes to meet Coulson, and she's a little frustrated because their deal, apparently, was that she was in charge of field operations, but that he was still supposed to check in with her every five days, and she hasn't heard from him in over two weeks. Coulson has been very busy trying to recruit trustworthy people who will be loyal to S.H.I.E.L.D., but that is apparently proving extremely difficult. So, in July 2014, Clark Gregg stated that the season resumes months later from the end of season one, saying, The monumental nature of rebuilding is made very clear almost immediately. 
because you realize everyone, U.S. government, U.S. military, and otherwise, wants to arrest us. Shields are legal. We have very few resources. Everything we're going to do involves dealing with, still, finding out who's Hydra and who's not amongst our friends. Mm -hmm. To rebuild Shield, we're going to need some old friends to prove themselves, some new friends, and we're going to have to do it in a way that's very back alley, old school. Clark, you're so right. Too true, Clark. Too true. Too true, bestie. (laughs) That was so weird. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, anyway, so Coulson hasn't been able to use their bus in a while because the cloaking tech has been deficient. So he's been flying coach! (laughs) And uh, kudos to him for being eco-friendly on those flights, am I right? (laughs) Looking at you, Taylor. (laughs) You knew I had to throw in a Taylor reference. (laughs) Listen, listen. If there's one thing about Coulson... He's always in the air, but he never fly coach. Except he does. Except when he does. Uh. <laughs> but he's still the motherfucking drip drip. Is that the lyric? Okay, continue. Sorry. I don't know what song that is. Super Bass by Nicki Minaj? Oh, I don't know the lyrics to Super Bass. <laughs> I was homeschooled. I, I went to an all-girl Catholic school. <laughs> anyway okay (laughs) the only word that i know to super bass is the word super bass um so uh colson also says that they have allies ready to activate in london if and when necessary uh but colson cancels his flights though as soon as he sees the photo that Browning brought them and realizes that it's the first ever 084. We already knew this. We saw it. We saw it with our own eyes. Yeah. I was so excited. <laughs> that was like my note uh, when I first saw the box. I was like, oh, the first 084. Yeah. Um, so the bulletproof guy gets home to his shipping container and hops on a little Zoom call with his British overlord, who gives him a gift from both of their boss. It's muscravite, uh, one of the rarest gemstones in the world, and also uh, a fan of Casey Musgrave. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that true? No. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, I need it to be, though. Wouldn't that be Muscrovites funny? <laughs> come together. I hope it is. If it's not, they need Muscrovites to change their fandom name. Muscrovites <laughs> Forward! <laughs> Muscrovites Ascendle! <laughs> Ascendle! <laughs> I'm hungover. I don't know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Welcome to season two. Yes. <laughs> The Overlord sends a message from their boss saying he believes you'll find its structure quite pleasurable. (laughs) What? (laughs) Ew. (laughs) So then the bulletproof guy grabs it and leans back and moans. (laughs) I thought this was a family show. What the fuck was that? Anyway, one of his hands turns into the muscrovite, so I guess that's his superpower, but what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So 
So, of course, it can't be an Agents of Nothing episode without us dunking on an IMDb goof. Of course. Lay it on me. This is all that this one said, and it absolutely killed me. No, say it the way, say it the way you wrote it, because it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> this is all that this one said, and it killed me dead. <laughs> Creel should turn into cotton. I don't get that. I don't understand. Because he's wearing a shirt. Oh. Well, but not all of him turns into it the whole time. But I guess he gets to choose. Time. Yeah, he chooses which part of him it turns into. Yeah, so once again, IMDb, what the fuck, y'all? Yeah, who wrote that? I want. Do you even watch the show? Who wrote these goofs? Because I really want to talk. Do you even watch the show? <laughs> I just want to talk. Really? They've got to be, like, fan-submitted, right? I mean, I would assume... But it's like, okay, if you thought if you thought long enough to be like, wait, he's wearing a shirt, he should turn into the fabric of his shirt, but you didn't think far you didn't think enough to be like, well, the muscovite only turns his hand into that, not his entire body. Obviously, it doesn't it's not an involuntary thing. Um, so back at the playground, May interrupts the bickering of Hartley Hunter and Idaho. Who the fuck is Idaho? <laughs> That's a dumbass name. It's gotta be a last name. It's gotta be. Or a nickname. Maybe that's where he's from. Maybe he's from Idaho. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, that's like the only thing that people remember about you. So that's just like your nickname and it sticks. <laughs> Who's that guy? Um, I don't know, but I think he said he's from Idaho. <laughs> he just only talks about potatoes. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so Colson wants to talk to them. Uh, so as they leave the room, Skye joins May to let her know that she dropped off the bullet samples to the lab and that the mood in there is as good as can be expected. In the lab, Fitzsimmons gives us a nice little fake out. I'm crying already. <laughs> in more ways than one. Yes. Simmons is still worried about and babying Fitz, but he is seemingly fine, although he does apparently still have a little trouble with his memory recall. But honestly, Fitz, so do I, and I don't even have any brain damage from, like, a major physical trauma, so I think you're doing fine. I, I It's honestly, like, it is heart-wrenching to watch him get frustrated, yeah. but it's also, like, that's me daily. Like, that's just my Every normal, everyday day. experience. Constantly. <laughs> I am all like constantly having to describe things instead of like saying the name for it. Mm -hmm. And Aaron will be like a coaster, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I forgot the word. Yeah, me too. All the time. Can you hand me mm -hmm. one of those things to put the drink on so that it doesn't make a ring on the table? <laughs> constantly. I'm really sorry that this is new for Fitz, but yeah. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> Just get God. over your brain damage, please. <laughs> anyway, um, but I was crying because he is so incredibly frustrated with these new limitations and that he doesn't want to need any help, but it seems that he needs it right now. So Simmons comforts him, saying that he's almost there. And he grabs her hand on his shoulder and just repeats the words that he's almost there. And I'm not sure if he believes her or if he just wants to believe her. But either way, I was a puddle of tears. Uh, it's a very affecting scene. 
And I was, like, trying to take stock of everything that was happening in it. And uh, in doing that, I noticed that in her ponytail, you can absolutely see where Elizabeth's real hair ends and the extensions begin. Really? (laughs) And that's, like, all I could see from that point on in the episode. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, so, but May interrupts the moment, asking for an update on the metal. As Fitz tries to get out his sentence that he's been having some trouble with identifying the metal, the metal suddenly turns into a piece of bleeding flesh. Ew. Um, and Fitz hides his relief that he's not the only one seeing that, which would be terrifying. You're seeing that too, right? Yeah. Please tell me you're seeing that too. Simmons assures them both that they should be able to test for whose blood it is, and May says that she can stay to help anyway, even though he clearly doesn't need the help. Fitz appreciates both the help and the obvious fake assertion that he doesn't need that help. (laughs) Coulson gets the intel on the bulletproof man from the mercenaries. Hunter is being a drunk prick, and when he compares Hartley to his ex-wife, Coulson says maybe he should have listened to her too. We stand. Thank you, Coulson. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Coulson. I remember Hunter annoying the shit out of me the first few times I watched. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see if I come out of this podcast with a different opinion on him. I did change my opinion in later seasons, but God, this first iteration of him was so fucking insufferable. <laughs> I'm sorry to, like, shape your opinion of him off the bat, but I it's fucking... Okay hate him i was gonna just ignore him as a whole (laughs) (laughs) so the character of lance hunter is introduced as a mercenary working with former shield agent hartley and in the comics hunter is the leader of strike a british intelligence agency similar to shield and that is a bit of trivia i did not know that's cool um And also in July 2014, it was revealed that Lucy Lawless would be guest starring as Isabel Hartley, which I had heard about and knew was a big deal because she was Xena in Xena Warrior Princess. And so a lot of hype was built that she was going to be in this season, and then the end of the episode happens. Oh. And on whether the episode was ever going to explore the relationship between Hartley and Victoria Hand, a character whose comic book counterpart was in a relationship with a character called Isabel, Marissa Tancherowen said, There were versions, but it started to be irresponsible if we addressed it to not address it with more weight and time and energy. At that point, it was still pretty, like, it was a big deal to have a gay character. Yeah. But also, like, I fucking knew Hand was gay. I mean... Lesbian, neoliberal, girl boss. Yes. Slay! Yes. Did you see her? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I fucking knew it. Incredible. I wish that they could have done that, but I do understand why they didn't. If they weren't going to have the time to devote to that that kind of storyline i feel like yeah although but i mean it also and also it could also sorry we're talking at the same time i feel like it definitely especially in that period of time it would have seemed a lot more egregious to have a sort of like kill your gaze Mm -hmm. thing um 
and that's like that's what it would have seemed like they were doing regardless because yeah hartley was always meant to die at the end of this episode and so is victoria hand she's dead yeah they were gonna kill both they were gonna introduce both of the lesbians and then immediately kill them so it's probably best oh by the way the character that we had last season that's dead she's gay and also this lady She's she's gay and she was with her. But now they're now she's then, dead too. Uh, now they're but both. Dead. Now they get to be together in the empty in the afterlife <laughs> in super gay hell. <laughs> um. Anyway, so May comes in with a DNA match on the quote metal. Uh, it is Carl Creel, a super who was supposedly crossed off of the index. According to the supervising agent, John fucking Garrett, Creel was executed, but clearly that was faked, and Creel was recruited to Hydra. Sky and Trip are in another room discussing Koenig and his many, many brothers. <laughs> Every day, another brother. If he brings up one more brother, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> Sky has been working on the weird markings that Garrett was drawing and that Coulson was drawing in the season finale um, and that Ward saw on Amador's mission. Coulson gave her this project over a month ago to figure out what they are, what they mean, but she hasn't been able to find anything on it. Coulson interrupts them and asks Trip if he can have a moment with Sky. Trip says, Watch this, and then walks out of the room. <laughs> I'm in love with him. <laughs> I I would die for him. I would die for Trip. He's incredible. <laughs> new favorite, new favorite. Um, so Coulson shows Sky the new intel that they have on Creel. She guesses that he wants her to go do something that she does not want to do. When she asks if she has a choice, Coulson doesn't say anything. I'm gonna assume that she has to talk to Ward. That fucking sucks. And I was right. <laughs> So Koenig briefs Sky that there is a, quote, inertial confinement laser barrier in Ward's vault, and she can make it soundproof or even opaque at the touch of a button. That's super fucking cool. <laughs> Koenig promises that she'll be safe, though. As she heads down into the vault, Ward slowly checks her out while he greets her. Disgusting. He's like, aren't you a sight for sore eyes? Fucking gross. Stop it. <laughs> Quit. But the beard i mean i what what can i say i like a good beard <laughs> if you've seen a picture of my boyfriend you know i like a beard <laughs> um ward says that he told colson weeks ago that he'd be willing to speak to sky and give her whatever intelligence she asked for but she never came so he guesses that something bad must have happened if she's here now sky ignores him obviously and jumps straight into asking about creel Ugh. ward is still so gross and obsessed with sky like after all that time even imprisoned it's been months it's disgusting oh and like when she's clearly disgusted by you fucking get over it yeah and like the fact that he will only share intel if it's sky yeah honestly how is that even fucking allowed right (laughs) why they can just they can just kill him (laughs) They could. I, they, they don't need intel that bad. Yeah. And he doesn't exactly give them, like, great intel either. And, you know, they don't even have to actually kill him. They could just put him in a little med pod and throw him in the ocean. Yeah. Just keep him there indefinitely. So Ward immediately tries to change the subject and asks how she's been. 
Sky starts to leave. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Good job. Good for her. And Ward quickly says that the name sounds familiar. As she shows him a picture of Creel, she notices that Ward has scars from a suicide attempt. And he gets a little graphic as he tells her about how he did it. I did not like that. Just going to fully skip over that whole part. Guess he took a page out of his S.O.'s book. Apparently. Also, like, I don't mean to sound callous or crass, but it really came off to me, like, trying to gain sympathy from Skye. And I was not a fan of that. Oh, it absolutely was. And, like, that is, that's an abusive technique, too, is, like, threatening to kill yourself if, if, if the object of your affection or your attention isn't giving you what you want, you know? Like, you threaten to break up with somebody and they say, if you leave, I'm gonna kill myself. It's but I loved her response. Oh hell yeah! Of him saying that he ran into the wall. She was like, "Should have run faster." <laughs> perfect. It was perfect. Um. Anyway, so like I said, this guy's like, "If you don't stay on topic, I swear to God, I'm never coming down here again." And so Ward switches gears, and he says that Creel was a boxer named the Crusher. But apparently, Creel was a cheating boxer because his fists were made of steel. And this is what drew Garrett's attention. Creel can literally transform the molecules of his body into any substance that he touches. And it's apparently pretty kinky for him, too. Gross. Ward says that the only thing Creel liked more is killing. So Sky's like, oh, y'all have so much in common. Also, we already knew that. Thanks for wasting my time. So Ward finally gives them some info that they can use in that Hydra is most likely still using old shield radio frequencies to communicate with Creel. So as Sky is leaving, Ward swears that every word that he said was true. And so will every word that I say to you for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Sky hits the mute button just as Ward is about to say that he wants to tell her everything about her father. It's so fucking dramatic. I love it. Truly. The wall going up was excellent. I loved it. Literally, wait, okay, literally gray wa- gray rocking, gray walling, whatever the, like, yeah, term is. Yeah, To, like, make yourself as <laughs> uninteresting to an abuser as possible. Perfect. <laughs> um, so Kana confirms that Hydra directives are being sent through the old shield frequencies and that there are re- receivers on every continent and everyone's hearts just fall straight through their asses. There's... Like, so much more Hydra than S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I, like, so much it's more. fucking terrifying. So worrying. Um, so back in D.C., Talbot is taking a walk with his wife and kid, who is expressing interest in the Navy instead of the Army, like his dad. So as they're walking, Trip brushes past in a very inconspicuous hoodie and <laughs> bumps into Talbot. I'm guessing to place a tracker or something. But actually, it was to place a burner phone. Coulson calls Talbot to warn him that he's in danger and to offer protection. But Talbot doesn't want to hear it, so he just breaks the flip phone and pulls out his own device to call for backup. But Creel surprises him from behind, and May comes along to save the day, as she does every single fucking time. Um, As the army arrives, Creel breaks off a ball and chain from a nearby post. (laughs) So, in this scene... He picks up the ball and chain, obviously, and that is apparently his weapon of choice in the comics. Really? That's interesting. But I was confused because it's like, 
It's one of those things that's like painted gold though. So like his his arm, his hands and arms are like turning gold. But if it's like an actual metal post or something, I guess I can roll with that. But like I don't his body is turning into metal with gold paint on it. <laughs> Why isn't it just turning into the metal? <laughs> well, I guess they did say it's the molecules of any substance. So. Yeah. I just, that felt unnecessary. <laughs> the the paint on the metal also has molecules. It, it looked weird. cool, though. Yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> but I just don't, I just feel like it wasn't solid gold. Yeah, I was I was reading this and I was trying to justify it. And I was like, maybe it's copper. But, like, copper also is very, like, expensive and likely to be stolen, so I don't think they would just have a copper chain in the park. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I just... (laughs) I was like, that's weird. Anyway, so May kicks him again, and then Skye, like, tases him or something. And instead of being like, wow, those badass women saved my life, Talbot's being held back, like, secure that bastard! (laughs) And as the army loads the general back into their car to get him somewhere safe, he finds that he's joined in the backseat by Agent Melinda May pointing a gun at him. Like, why can't he just be fucking grateful? (laughs) Just be grateful. They saved you. This was just so funny to me. It was hilarious. She's like, hello again. (laughs) Um, So the army does bring Creel in, and they have him uh, locked in a glass ish box and under guard so colson joins talbot in the quote honeycomb kill room as he calls it <laughs> and they zing each other back and forth and exchange their respect for each other as well fitz watches as koenig runs analysis on talbot during all of this he feels left out simmons compares it to being sidelined due to injury like a player in a football match To which Fitz fires back, football or American football? Because a head trauma joke right now would be in severely poor taste. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, I love him. Poor Fitz is so frustrated because he feels like he's being looked at by the team differently. Like he's fragile. And he only gets any relief from that feeling when he talks to Simmons. And she's so good at helping him feel better and I want to (laughs) cry. But isn't it a little comforting that the power to make him feel better was inside him all along? Oh, now I'm crying again. (laughs) (laughs) So I really didn't want to dump all of these fun facts about um, Dream Simmons, like, right after the reveal. So I spread it out a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. Um, We all know. Spoiler for the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, Costume designer Anne Foley revealed in the book... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2 Declassified, that the imaginary Simmons wears the same outfit she wore in and normally the character never wears the same outfit twice, so this is a clue to her being a figment of Fitz's imagination. So she's like wearing that specific outfit because that's like a very prominent memory of Simmons in his head. Is that, like, when he realized, when he was starting to realize that he had feelings for her? I think so. Yeah. Oh, Stop it. <laughs> um, okay, so Talbot boasts about how his men brought Creel into custody without S.H.I.E.L.D.'s help. You know, other than May and Sky subduing him first, but whatever. We'll forget about that. <laughs> 
But Coulson informs Talbot that they brought Creel to exactly the facility that he wanted to be in. But even so, Talbot refuses to help, of course. And I mean, to his credit, he does think that S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA are, like, the same thing. So I understand him not wanting to, like, aid and abet what he believes is a terrorist organization. So, like, on that front, good for him for sticking to his morals. But I mean, come on. So then Coulson shoots him with an icer, and Talbot wakes up in an abandoned car in the middle of nowhere. Talbot immediately tries to call for armed backup to the facility that Creel is being kept in, but fortunately, Talbot actually just called Koenig, who relayed the coordinates to our little baby shield team. As they're gearing up, Hartley and the mercenaries bring up some valid logistical concerns about this mission. Coulson interrupts them and says, this is a make-or-break moment. And then he reveals that they are going in for more than just Creel in the 084. And I don't know what that means, but the pep talk works. Everyone's on board now. <laughs> and Trip looks fucking fantastic in his army general uniform. Uh, like So, damn. so good. BJ Britt, come on the pod. Please. So that these two women in committed long-term relationships can thirst over you publicly to your face. Yes. Thanks. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Love you. Come on the pod. <laughs> I just learned your name, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and okay, do him and Sky have, like, a little thing? Because I love that. I hope that I can love that. <laughs> I want to love that. <laughs> You're not getting a word out of me. I know. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> putting it out there. <laughs> Trying to manifest good things. Um, so over at the army facility... <laughs> Over at the army facility, Creel's guards are talking, and people are starting to realize that Talbot has gone missing. Then they realize that Creel isn't in his box anymore. I'm guessing that he just turned into glass and is waiting for them to open the door. Yup, they sure fucking are. He's naked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he ain't got no clothes on. <laughs> he, he's got his glass dick just all out all over the place. Can you imagine, though, he had to stay so still? Otherwise, he's just going to be, like, clinking around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh. You're welcome for that. (laughs) Um, So the plan to sneak onto the military base is for Trip to impersonate a general, Sky to hack into the base's phone line so that Coulson can then impersonate General Talbot himself. Complete with a little southern saying thrown in, like, you better let them in or I'll have you so deep in horse manure, son, you'll need a damn snorkel. <laughs> Koenig is freaking out, and I love it. <laughs> and I also, I feel like the very end where he's like, Talbot out. I feel like that was abs- that was 100% Clark's idea. <laughs> I was crying. <laughs> it was so funny. Anyway, it works, of course, obviously. They're geniuses. (laughs) Um, So the team heads out, and May and Sky are being secretive. I love that they're BFFs now, um, but they are being very secretive. (laughs) So Hartley walks right by Creel, and then announces that she has found the 084 right in front of him. So he obviously starts, like, attacking her, but she shocks him by stupidly grabbing the obelisk, and then he starts running because she starts screaming bloody murder. Her hand turns black, but she can't let go of it. 
The team surrounds her trying to help, but an alarm starts going off in the building. I'd like to interject here because I noticed that the captions said something like, when she goes to grab the obelisk, the caption said something like, uh, let's see what all the hype's about. But the line that they dubbed in, because it did look like, it seemed like an ADR line, yeah, was, let's see what makes this thing so deadly. Oh, yeah. So that was probably another one of those situations where they uh, added in some exposition. Yeah. Just in case we weren't sure what she was talking about. Right. In case we didn't know. In case you didn't remember from the beginning of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we got short attention spans. <laughs> we got shit memories. We get it. <laughs> um, so Hunter, of course, insists on aborting the mission and getting Hartley medical attention immediately. But when Skye and May ask Coulson for their orders, he tells them to keep going as planned, which is super weird for Coulson. Hartley doesn't want to abandon ship, but Hunter carries her away to get help anyway. And I don't even know who they are, but I like them. And I really hope that that doesn't backfire. <laughs> well past Caroline. It did. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna hurt. Um, so, <laughs> so as May, Sky, and Trip keep moving, Idaho, I am guessing... <laughs> Is driving why I every time I wrote Hartley I said Hartler Hartler and Hunter <laughs> Hartler and Hunter my favorite duo um okay <laughs> Idaho is driving Hartley and Hunter out of there Hartley starts begging Hunter to cut her hand off or she's afraid she won't make it to the hospital it takes some convincing but he does finally agree so about the decision to cast a big name like Lucy Lawless as Hartley who was always intended to be killed off at the end of this episode, Mm -hmm. Jed Whedon said, We wanted you to invest in the character and feel like this person was a real equal to Coulson. She definitely fit the bill on that front. Lucy has such a strength to her. We didn't want people to know what was going to happen. We wanted it to feel like a big deal. It did. That was was smart. Yeah, I think it definitely did. Even, like... So, Xena Warrior Princess, I think, started airing in 1995, and I was born in 1995, so obviously I missed the boat on that one. Pretty sure you did, too. Yeah, I didn't know that. I don't know what that is. (laughs) I thought you were saying Xenon, and I was like, I don't think that's the same thing. (laughs) Well, it's, like, very big in um, both nerd spaces and lesbian spaces, from what I hear. Oh, okay. Damn it, and I missed it! <laughs> I know, right? Damn. But, like, I saw the hype surrounding this, and, like, I I, I knew that it was a big deal that she was on, mm-hmm. and even though I missed the Xena, like, hype, I was still shocked that they killed off her character. Yeah, because, like, we just met her. Um, anyway, so... As it turns out, the other thing that they needed to pick up from the army base was a Quinjet and a motorcycle, apparently. That was hilarious. I don't know why she didn't just, like, drive the motorcycle into the jet or something. But, like, having the jet flying away while May's riding the motorcycle, I'm like, you can't go to the same place. (laughs) And I thought the whole point of the jet was that they needed it to be, like, have the cloaking capability and i'm pretty sure the motorcycle does not have that (laughs) imagine they just get in the car and like 
chase after her. <laughs> I'm sure they did. They just find her. <laughs> so Coulson explains to Koenig that they needed to steal it in order to do more good. And because even though Fitz says he can re-engineer the cloaking technology on their bus, he hasn't been able to engineer much of anything due to his brain injury. And since Simmons left... Excuse me? <laughs> Mariah, would you like to read what I texted you <laughs> that night? <laughs> yes. This was Friday night, and I was hanging out with my friend Diamond. <laughs> Friday night, 9.57 p.m. She texts me. Caroline texts me. Since, separate text message. Simmons, separate text message. Left many question marks and then another separate text message my jaw was dropped for so long i started drooling are you fucking and then separate text message i thought she was dead for a second end scene i was literally frozen picture edward monk's uh the scream painting but for like several minutes I was waiting for your reaction, and it did not disappoint. <laughs> I always am. When I, I know them. something big is coming, I'm like, just a matter of time. You know you're going to get a text about it, <laughs> and it's going to be, like, 2 a.m. <laughs> I'm waiting for the day you just, like, fully call me, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Speaking about the reveal that Fitz was just imagining the presence of Simmons due to the injuries that he got at the end of the first season, Marissa Tancheroen said, Fuck Ward. We didn't want him to come out of that experience unscathed. He clearly suffered major, major trauma to his body. The lack of oxygen to his brain has to have consequences because that's how it is in real life. We wanted there to be a price. Basically, he, in his own Fitz way, had professed his love for her, and then he came out of that. How do you come out of that experience without any physical damage? There would still probably be a change to their relationship because the feelings are out in the open. Hmm? I don't, That's weird. Marissa, I don't, I don't know why you worded it that way. I didn't understand that. But, of course, being yeah. the people that we are, we wanted to make it even more painful okay. and compound it. I don't... I feel like him professing his feelings wouldn't have caused damage. <laughs> they were clearly in love I, with I'm each still... other. <laughs> we can just focus on the fact that he had to go from the bottom of the ocean to the surface <laughs> without any oxygen. Honestly, like, that's something that I have always really admired about this show. And I'm sure I've said it before on the podcast. There are actual consequences right. in this show. They don't just have something big happen and then forget about it. It's incredible. This show and the people that worked on it, their attention to detail yeah. is, and it blows like they my just, mind. They clearly care so much about this story that they're telling. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So Simmons apparently thought that Fitz might do better without her there, which is insane logic, Simmons. I mean, like, you're a genius, but that was a really dumb decision. <laughs> Obviously, that does not help his condition. 
Coulson continues that he just wants to right the wrongs and make sure that the sacrifices made by the people that they all love haven't been made in vain. And then they can be done. Disappear. But just then, Creel appears in the middle of the road and crashes the mercenary's car. Hartley and Idaho are dead. And Hunter pretends to be dead as Creel turns his hand to rubber and takes the obelisk. It's, wow. I think about that scene in the car so often. Honestly, it's haunting. It is. God. And then the look that Hunter gives, I'm afraid that he's a new villain now. (laughs) Okay. And now it's time for the post-content content. content. (laughs) It's a real short one this time. Uh, Creel's British boss returns to the original Nazi guy about Creel getting away with the obelisk. Dr. Whitehall has been waiting for this for a long time. Oh, shit. Uh Uh-oh. Wow. Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiO. Wow. Okay. So, tell me your overall thoughts. I'm dying to know. I had... I had thoughts. (laughs) Um... (laughs) So I am shook about the Simmons twist. Um, And her thinking that Fitz would get better without her, though, is so weird. Like, in their entire relationship, he's only ever been better with her. Their whole careers, they've made each other better together. I feel like, I feel like she left because of her feelings for him, not because she actually thought that it would help him heal. And, like, I would understand that, because with him being injured, it's not exactly the best time for them to start a relationship. <laughs> um, so I, I, guess, I guess maybe it makes sense for her to be telling her superior officer that she thinks it would be best for his... Uh, his recovery if she leaves but i don't think that would ever be the actual reason why yeah. i don't believe that for a second and then the other thing colson is changing a little with this power i think and i'm not sure how i feel about it right now <laughs> because i mean like he could have just told them that they were like taking a better method of transportation out of the facility, and then no one would have had to be on the road where Creel was. That just, that seemed like a weird call and, like, kind of out of character for Coulson. So I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I have lots of questions. Well. What were your thoughts? Um, I am just excited to be on season two, and I am very excited for the next couple of episodes specifically episode three and you'll see why in like the opening scene (laughs) okay (laughs) and that's all i'll say about that okay that concludes our episode on the season two opener shadows if you want to keep up with us you can follow us on tiktok at agents of nothing podcast on twitter at agent nothing pod 
and on Instagram at Agents of Nothing Podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Agents of Nothing and subscribe to us for $2.99 a month for special bonus content. And you can email us at Agents of Nothing Podcast at gmail.com and we may just read it on the show. If you want to find me, Mariah, I'm on Twitter at FullSwampWitch underscore on TikTok at Submarine Warfare, and on Instagram at Submarine Warfare. And you can follow me, Caroline, on Twitter at RustyPage95, on Instagram at underscore RustyPage, or on TikTok at CrazyGender995. Next week, we'll be covering Season 2, Episode 2, Heavy is the Head, so stay tuned for that. Okay, bye! Bye, love you! <laughs>